0: On this morning's show, we are joined by Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And by Ben Emmons, Principal and Senior Portfolio Manager at New Edge Wealth. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. So we have a big week ahead with the Federal Reserve meeting, the US employment data, earnings from technology heavyweight Apple, um, all possibly setting the course for the stocks and bonds for the rest of the year. So how do you see each of these things panning out? Maybe we could start with the Fed Reserve meeting. I'll start with you, Andrew. Yeah, I think we're just going to see a pause there. I think probably
1: more interesting will be the uh, the Treasury's quarterly refunding um, announcements, which will come out ahead of that. Uh, it's expected that they're going to ask that, or say that they need to raise around a trillion. Um, Obviously, where that level comes out, whether it's in line with expectations more or less, will obviously make a huge impact on the bonds uh, for the next few months. And that's obviously uh, something the Fed will have to take into account.
2: And Ben? Yeah, I think that the Federal Reserve will be about that they can stay on hold because financial conditions are getting tighter. Um, And that's particularly driven by interest rates. And um, as Andrew just said, like this refunding announcement has a lot of attention. There's an additional uh, detail to that is that the Treasury always meets with an advisory committee. That's a committee that consists out of major money managers here in the United States. And they tend to follow what what that advisory committee says when it comes to issuance. And I think that's what particularly the market will look at is the Treasury Advisory Committee giving the Treasury more pressure to say, look, get out of federal issuance and issue more long-term bonds. If that shows that up again next week in, in, in the detail of the refunding announcement, then that will really uh, put some sparks into the bond market and, and makes the Fed meeting actually kind of boring. <laughs> Yeah,
1: and I think especially when you consider that they've got to look at the different durations that they need to issue that money over, that's going to cause a lot of uh, volatility. And the fact that, you know, who's going to buy it? I mean, the, 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 the rates are going to be higher than we've seen for a long time.
0: But wouldn't the rates make it attractive? I mean, we're looking at the long bonds and you're seeing 10 years and uh, 30 years pushing 5%. Now, if they break well above that, that's going to have quite an effect in terms of the markets as a whole, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, I think I mean, but I mean, if you consider that a lot of people are going into the short dated notes at the moment uh, because it gives them the flexibility, there will come that point where people have to start looking at the longer dated notes uh, as as being more attractive than the shorted, and then I think that'll have to be uh, reflected in you know more volatility generally speaking in the bond market.
0: And Ben, do you see? I mean, the five percent seems to be the threshold for the longer longer term bonds. do you see them breaking above it or do you think that's pretty much where, where things are going to settle down?
2: No, there's a possibility to, uh, to break higher. Um, you know, As Andrew mentioned, there's the specifics about maturities, but there's also a fair bit of technical factors playing a role in, in, in the US bond market. It's somewhat unique, but people don't pay much attention to what's happening with mortgages, but they, they've been under significant pressure because of rising treasury yields, and there's a lot of, like, effect from mortgages onto treasuries because of hedging. There's some changes in futures contracts, there's a duration extension, um, and there's a change within the asset management industry where now for the last three weeks, they start to really pair back on their long position. And a lot of asset managers here were quite bullish on bonds, and that that opinion has changed since we broke to above the 5% in the 10 years. So, there's forces here that I think could push the yield debt by itself already higher and then on top of that gets maturity extension from issuance gets further priced in, yeah, you could see the 10-year yield hitting five and a quarter percent.
1: All going to be a lot of fun. And of course, that'll spill over into the equity market as well as people look at the results coming out. And as you mentioned, Apple, especially people will be wanting to see um, how well the iPhone is going in China, which, you know, when it was initially released, we were hearing that it wasn't doing as well as they had hoped.
0: Well, there's another market, actually, um, that could potentially surprise on Apple, which is India. Because um, I, I know there's been quite a... Just from experience of talking to people, there seems to be quite good sales in India. But again, we'll have to see what the numbers come through on that. Um, which, I guess, moves us on into corporate earnings. Corporate earnings have been relatively... I mean, relatively positive, but there have been some big names that have kind of let the markets down. Um, markets have come under pressure over the last couple of weeks. Um, do you think earnings, do you think interest rates, do you think um, employment data, all of that's going to continue to come come into the pot and just keep markets pressured, or will there be some sort of year-end rally that investors can look forward to? So I'll start with you, Ben, this time.
2: Yeah, if you look at the uh, surprises of earnings, particularly positive surprises for the S&P 500, that's now declined from something like 85% the last quarter to running something like seventy seven percent currently. that's just basically measuring earnings beating expectations. And that's the lowest in about a year. And I think what happened was that not only that there was a lot of expectation that earnings actually would be higher, but there is some change in the economy occurring apparently that's affecting big companies like Tesla as one one key driver of the sentiment that we had over the last two weeks or so. A sort of bearish sentiment is isn't it just all about interest rates, but it's also about just the impact perhaps that the strikes are having on the economy, the consumer that's maybe slowing somewhat down uh, against this backdrop of a really strong GDP data that we saw last week. And again, still hotter, stickier data in the core PCE. And we're getting this week ISM data, both services and manufacturing, and the payroll data, the employment data, which still paints a picture of a very robust, strong U.S. economy, but as hot as it gets, there's also a lot of concern that how it will slow down next year, especially if fiscal spending becomes a major political issue, which I think it will, and at high interest rates start to further impact the economy. I think a company like Tesla is actually very sensitive to all these changes, and I think that's what people are nervous about. That's the first one to show there's potential change in, in the future that's bigger. Why these earnings are beating so well?
1: Yeah, and I think I, mean, I think the thing is that uh, you know we saw a lot of this driving market coming from seven, you know, the super seven stocks as they've been uh, termed, uh, and 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 the reality was that most of the market was you know priced for for perfection, and if we don't get perfection, you know, investors are uh, are are making radical changes to their uh, their thought processes. I think.
0: Well, ben touched on some of the economic numbers and you talked about PCEs and um, you know PCEs come down inflation starting to come down okay GDP was pretty, um, pretty incredible um, but you're generally looking at numbers that are starting to come down and you are talking about stuff going ahead um, looking ahead that are going to continue to be weaker so all of that will come into it the corporate earnings as we've talked about not as many positive surprises are probably in line I think a lot of them probably a bit worried about employment uh, going forward. So I think there's a number number of negatives there, isn't there not, Ben? Ben?
2: Yes, it would be. Sorry. I, I uh, caught for for a moment I thought you said Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, it would be. And uh, <laughs> and and I think I think the other aspect of this this AI story that's driven so much those seven stocks and Andrew talked about, uh, you know, for some time it's now been highlighted over and over like if you stick those stocks out, they actually have a flat and negative equity return already for the year. And that does speak to weakness, um, you know, that within the stock market, there's a view that uh, this is a cycle that's going to start turning. And so the, this season, being a bit more modest in terms of earnings speeds, I, I think it woken people to this view that, we really are starting to maybe stall out uh, from this big rush that we've had over the last sort of three, four years uh, from, from the pandemic and the reopening and all those things, um, that we are in an environment where we must accept a higher for longer interest rate because otherwise we never get inflation under control. And last week's data just showed that. It's not that simple to get it really under control. And secondly, we are in the United States facing a, a significant political uncertainty uh, going into next year. The presidential election itself, but new speaker in the House and views about that fiscal spending has to change and that that will impact a lot of companies. So uh, it's not a rosy picture as we go from here. <laughs>
1: It'll also make uh, you know more difficult for the for the treasury. I mean, they've got to take into account that the deficit's going to go up because rates are going up as well. Um, but I think you know it's it's the it's the change in perception that uh, you know this this long heralded slowdown that has been so elusive to date is is actually appearing on the horizon in some in those slowing numbers that we're seeing and and that's going to make it more difficult for the fed because they've got to be more cautious then about where they keep rates and as we've said they were going to keep them higher for longer but is that really going to you know put further stress on the on the working economy
0: well i just want to move it closer to home now um i'll start with china and then andrew i want to end with hong kong property with you um but on china obviously we've got china evergrande uh today maybe facing a winding up petition in the hong kong courts Um, how much of an effect is that going to have? And Ben, do you cover that from where you are in the US?
2: Not so specifically, but I I would make one point there that um, as Evergrande is sort of entangled in this legal case, I think what quietly went past by the markets was the default from uh, country gardens on one of the dollar bonds, which is highly highly, highly held, widely held, sorry, widely held in, uh, in in U.S. mutual funds. And so I do think it sets a precedent of more of these types of events to come. Um, that, once again, as you can tell from the, the latest string of data, the China reopening has really faltered. It's completely priced out of the, the CSI 300 index. And we know the structural stories there of real estate being in a, in a real downturn and that these defaults are appearing with at least one of them now. That this African story is just the other side of that whole uh, debate about how China cannot really shorten and grow out of the secular stagnation that it's facing currently with this this, uh, real estate market really being in slump. Yeah, I mean, I think,
1: I mean, it's a tricky one for China because they've wanted to, you know, a lot of people in China don't buy Property is an investment. They buy it as as you and I might buy gold as a store of value. And that's what Xi's been Mm -hmm. trying to get the money moved out of being locked up in property to move it into the high-tech sector. So he's quite happy with these companies defaulting and and going bankrupt. It's almost state-constructed. The real problem is, though, the confidence element and the fact that that has a huge knock-on into the the other thing that he's trying to do, which is create a consumer-driven economy, and that's going to be very, very difficult.
0: Yeah, but consumers will spend if they feel wealthier (laughs) and if property prices, which is a lot of their wealth, going down, they're not going to feel wealthier, right? But that's his point.
1: I mean, the thing is that he's wanted, he's been saying, you know, property is for living in. And the point there is that property is not for investing in and that's what a lot of people in China have been doing. Just because
0: realistically in China you don't have that many other alternatives. So that's another problem that the government has to sort of grapple with. In the last 45 seconds that we've got, Andrew, I did, as I said, I wanted to touch on Hong Kong property because obviously we had Paul Chan talking about it. Um, in a nutshell, what are your thoughts? Is it going to continue to come under pressure? What's going to stimulate it, and uh, how do we move forward from there? Well, I think it will. I mean, if, if US interest rates are going to stay higher for longer, um,
1: that's going to put pressure on it. Paul Chan said it makes it cheaper for people to buy property. But actually, if you know, property is not a good investment in, in this environment and in the longer term for Hong Kong, uh, then maybe they won't be looking at buying property and preferring to rent in the meantime. To stimulate it, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you've really got to get the whole Hong Kong economy and the Hong Kong outlet, out, outlook improving, and that's very difficult for the government at this stage uh, because we, we are seen as another city in China rather than being an international finance hub, I think, at the moment.
0: OK, well, um, that's all we have time for. So I'd like to thank Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense, and Ben Emmons, Principal and Senior Portfolio Manager at New Edge Wealth, for coming in. So thank you, guys.
2: Thank you.